for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Top of the morning, everybody. It is January 25th, 2022, and today's guest is Cameron Durr from Exodus Trail Cams, and he also runs the Deer Gear Podcast. Welcome back to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and today is episode 198. We are creeping ever so closely to the 200 episode mark. I've got it uh, scheduled in the books. We're going to be recording it here soon, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty fun. It's going to be a sit-at-home BS session with a lot of my close friends and uh, probably be a longer haul, maybe a two-hour podcast or so, but we're just going to get into it, man. And That's going to be one of the biggest things I'm going to really try to change for this year is now that I've got uh, basically a podcast studio um, I'm going to get more people in studio here. That's what I want to do, have people travel to me a little bit if they are willing and able. I think it'd be really cool to have them in here and uh, kind of give them the whole experience. So that is going to be the the biggest transition for this year. But I've got a lot of good guests coming on and scheduled, um, especially like today, Cameron Durr from Exodus Trail Cams. And he also is the host of the Deer Gear podcast. So if you guys have never heard of it, it's actually a newer podcast. Cameron just come out with this fall. Um, go check it out. He talks about all gear uh, for deer hunters. So it's really cool. Uh, we get into talking about that a little bit today, but we also talk about his, uh, his, I guess you could say his speedy expedited learning for deer hunting. And it's, it's really cool. Um, I think I, there's a theme kind of going on the last couple episodes of guys that are kind of newer to hunting and, uh, Cameron isn't, you know, he, he's newer to hunting and honestly, he basically went to school to become an accountant and got his degree and said, basically, screw that. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, I'm going to become a better deer hunter and I want to go work in the deer hunting, deer hunting industry. So it's pretty cool. He explains it all right here, but I don't want to let too many cats out of the bag. So uh, I mean, I guess a little update. I haven't really done many updates on what's going on in my life, I guess. And I know everybody is so excited to hear about that, but really nothing. Uh, building a house still. <laughs> Have it, not in it yet, um, but I'm, I'm actually working from my house. 
and uh, still got the echo in here. Don't have carpet down or nothing, but I did get some acoustic panels up, and I think I might need some more, but we'll see when we get the carpet in and how much this uh, echo actually cuts down a little bit. But uh, it's been cold here in Michigan. I haven't done anything, honestly, just uh, nose down grinding, trying to do this house and get get it to a point where we can move in, basically. Um, yeah, that's about it. I haven't really wanted to go outside. It's been so cold. So other than that, uh, I have been looking at new gear. Uh, that is something that I'm going to dive into a little bit more this year. And yeah, the cat's out of the bag. I'm going to use a saddle a little bit this year. I have not saddle hunted since 2010 and 11 season. I'm going to get back into it. I actually physically have a saddle um, right now. Uh, I got it at the end of the year, and I'm excited to dive more into that and kind of let you guys go down that journey because I honestly, I mean, it's a big craze right now. But the thing is, is it's a tool in your tool bag. It's just like a, you know, a carpenter. They got a hammer. They got, you know, uh, nails, they've got, uh, screw guns, they've got, uh, levels. It doesn't matter. It's just all different things to get the job done. Um, you know, and it's, it's, you can use it for diff different applications. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to be a full-time saddle hunter cause I'm not, because I'm not going to let go of my, uh, Hilo from Novix because that thing is badass. but it has its time and place for that. And, and the saddle does as well. So, I'm pretty excited to dive back into that and and uh, see what uh, is new because I've been out of the game for a long time. So I guess that's kind of the the short of it. But a uh, couple, couple, you know, those things. <laughs> I can't even think. A couple partner notes right now. Uh, just want to let everybody know Hunter's Box Club. So this is the last week. I think you got five days or six days. I don't know till the 31st of 2000. And 22, January 31st, so next Monday, I believe it is, you have until then to sign up for a box. Um, the first 50 boxes are free, so the first 50 people, uh, if you go to the podcast show notes, click on the free link, and it should take you right through there. All you got to do is pay shipping, and you get a box. What it is, is this month, it's a fall podcast shirt with a new logo on it. It's really cool, but also there's one to three surprise items in it, so... You're supporting Hunter's Box Club, but you're also supporting me. So that is awesome if you guys could go sign up for that. If you don't get a chance to do the free link, go to Hunter's Box Club, their website, and uh, sign up to get a box because you can do it uh, for every month of the year and you just get a box that shows up to your door. It's pretty cool, actually. So uh, that is out of the way. Next, Helix Broadheads. So a lot of people have been asking me about Helix Broadheads, where they can get them, when they can get them. Honestly, the best way to do it right now, because their website is under construction, the best way to do it is to call them. So I'm going to wait a hot second. I'm going to, you guys get a paper and a pen or something to write with, because I'm going to give you the number to call them and ask for Bryant or Tim and tell them that Aaron from the fall podcast sent you. Okay. So all you gotta do is call. Them. So the number is 877 893-7155. Again, 877-893-7155. Call them, ask for Bryant or Tim, tell them I sent you, they'll get you hooked up. So that's the best way I can, I can tell you right now. So go do that for sure. Lastly, Novix Tree Stands. I'm, I'm waiting on a code still. People are asking me, do you have the code for Novix yet? No, I don't. I think they're just trying to get back 
uh, in the swing of things from show season and, you know, ATA just getting over basically and other shows. So I'm waiting on that, but I know people are wanting to try them out. I'm actually going to have Jeff, the owner from Novix, on here shortly because other people have been asking me about Lone Wolf Portable and stuff like that. I don't want to give you the story. I'm going to let Jeff do it. So we're going to do that eventually as well. So Novix Tree Sands, go check them out as well at novixoutdoors.com. They are made in the USA, and they are badass tree stands. So with that being said, let's get over to this interview with Cameron, and uh, we had a blast talking about this. So, oh, sorry, last thing I, before I forget. Thank you guys for the all support and all the downloads. Please go to iTunes and write a written review and leave a five-star rating. That'd be greatly appreciated. So thank you guys very much, and uh, here's this interview with Cameron. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast. Today's guest is a new guest, Cameron Durr from Exodus Outdoor Gear. I always like to call it Exodus Trail Cameras, but it's Exodus Outdoor Gear, correct? Is that would be the correct name for it? Yeah, we... Uh... We kind of brand is like three different things, Exodus Outdoor Gear, <laughs> Exodus Trail Cameras, and then just Exodus. I like it. No, I like it. Dude, appreciate you coming on and doing this. This is, uh, you said I'm, I'm basically your first, right, other than being on like Exodus podcast and then your own podcast. This is the first one you've ever been a guest on, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm honored, man. Thank you. This is my first non-Exodus podcast. I Like you said, I host a podcast, but... I've never been a guest on uh, an actual deer hunting podcast, so sure. thanks for having me. Yeah, being a guest is the easy part. Like hosting <laughs> is the tough part, you know. Yeah, I agree with that. So I always like to be, a, you know, a guy's first. So I'm glad that I could be your first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm honored that you took my uh, podcast virginity. Yeah, there you go, man. Well, uh, I guess for people that don't know anything about Exodus or who you are. Kind of give them the little rundown of who you are, how long you've been with Exodus, and maybe a brief of like, they should know if they're listening to my podcast, they should know who Exodus is. I'm partnered with you guys. I was last year and, you know, Exodus trail cams and all that stuff. So kind of give that like brief elevator pitch, I guess it would be, but of how or who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. My name's Cameron. I am the creative director here at Exodus. That's my professional title. I also host the Deer Gear podcast underneath the Exodus umbrella, and Exodus is a trail camera company, like you stated. We are backed by the industry industry's best warranty in the trail camera marketplace, uh, the only direct-to-consumer trail camera company, so they're a blessing. Um, one, like what we say with a lot, of, uh, a lot of the marketing stuff that we do around the renders, you're buying time essentially mm-hmm. uh, all the time all the time to go out and check cameras and drive to that property and then you have battery replacements all that if you couple the cell camera with an external power source you'd never go back to the camera for the entire season so you set it and forget it and mm-hmm. you have all the time in the world to do other other kinds mm-hmm. of stuff well and that's one of the things i was telling jake yesterday was like I love how efficient it make efficient it mm-hmm. makes me, but I also love the fact that I don't have to go in anywhere anymore because I put the render out. I can't remember what month I put it out in the summer. Like I'm gonna say, I put cameras out around July, so July somewhere in there. I have yet to change the batteries on it yet, and we're in January right now. So Are you using just double A's, or do you have a solar panel too? Double A's. 
wow. lithium double A's. That's all I've used. One set. That's all that's ever. It's on the same tree, taking pictures. It doesn't take a ton of pictures. I won't lie to you on that. It probably takes a thousand a month, maybe. That's still a decent amount of photos. Yeah, it is. But I, you know, and that's okay. Let's say five hundred to a thousand, somewhere in that range. And dude, I mean, I looked at my app the other day, and it's still above like seventy five percent battery. And well, I'm, I'm gonna like, give you, I'm gonna give you a quick tip on that. Being okay. uh, that I work for a choke camera manufacturer, if you're using lithium batteries, and this is for all your listeners too, keep this in mind. If you're using lithium batteries in your trail cameras, they are always going to read a hundred percent until they're about to die. So if, really, if it's, yeah, if it's reading. Um, 75% they're on their last leg. It's it's just like power tools, lithium ion batteries like they work, they work, they work, they work and then boom they're dead. So um wow. lithium Learned lithium batteries new? are the same way, yeah. We So uh, what do you what do you recommend then for double A's? Do you recommend lithiums or oh, like yeah. what's your battery of choice? Uh Energizer lithiums hands down. Okay. Yeah. The, it does give you kind of a um false sense of battery life, but um the reason why you don't want to use alkalines. So trail cameras are mostly like the render for example is a 12 volt product, right? So it needs um, eight batteries, 1.5 volts each for a double A battery. Mm-hmm. Once those drop below 1.2 volts, you don't have enough power to actually power the camera and alkaline batteries will reach 1.2 volts in like, four weeks three weeks lithiums never do until they're dead because it's it's always a hundred percent wow good tip there i did not know that dude yeah that's a that's a pro tip there that is a pro tip gosh i should have you on more yeah there's a <laughs> i mean there's a our that's our what our youtube's kind of based off of we're i mean we're known for whitetail cribs but um if you go to the youtube channel there's an entire exodus render playlist all this stuff is is on there Perfect. Gonna have to do that. Everybody else do that. And if you're looking for a camera, go and buy a render. Yeah, check them out. We actually have inventory, so get on it. Good. Good deal. Well, hey, the premise of this podcast today was to get into how you are a newer hunter. And you and I were talking a little bit before record, and I like to get guys like yourself on because... I feel like there's a stigma or something out there in the hunting industry that a lot of guys or girls don't like to say that they're new hunters or, you know, don't like to broadcast it just because they're either a embarrassed about it or B they need to feel, or they feel like they have the need to feel like they need to hold up some sort of credibility and they don't want to show the vulnerability if that makes sense sure. so i want you know when i talked to you you said you'd air it out and i'm like grateful for that because i think those two things that i stated i think is complete bullcrap like you know we were all new at one point just because i was new when i was 12 years old and we didn't have podcasts or social media or anything or nowhere to broadcast it to it, it you know what i mean like i get it but it, <sighs> get it out there, learn. And and when you said, you told me off record, you know, you and I, we and, and Clint Campbell and Chad, we did the Exodus uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Um, and we were talking about how, uh, now I just lost train of thought, but we were talking about 
um, being new, but also like learning from podcast. Yep. You know, there's so many outlets out there that you can learn from. And you said one of your biggest learning attributes was from podcasts. So I'm like, yes, let's, let's talk. So I guess, I mean, I think the, the, the good place to start is like, when did you start hunting and why did you start hunting first and foremost? Sure. So I, um, I grew up in Northeast Ohio and I'm so close to Pennsylvania that like my, the elementary school that I went to is actually in Pennsylvania. So like the hunting heritage around PA, my dad grew up hunting, his dad grew up hunting and they've always hunted like the same property since my dad's dad was 12 years old. So, um, there was the heritage around it and I started hunting with a rifle at 12 or whatever the legal age is in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. But I, I hunted, but I wasn't a hunter. Mm -hmm. I was an athlete. I, I played baseball, basketball, football, ran track. And, um, my entire free time was spent in athletics. So hunting was just something that I did with my dad opening weekend of rifle season. You go out, you hunt, and then you go home and then you don't go again until next year. So, I consider myself a fairly new hunter. I'm a completely pretty new bow hunter, but I consider myself a fairly new hunter because I wasn't fi- I wasn't hunting. I was going and sitting in a box blind over a cornfield or a bean field first week the first day of uh rifle season and that was it. That was all. Yeah. Do you think you were more like a hunter because your dad wanted you to be a hunter or did you physically want to be there as well? But you were just, was it one of those things where you just kind of want to tag along with dad and you just were, you know, guilty by association kind of thing? Well, it was something that I always wanted to do, but, um, it was just something that I really couldn't dive into because, um, with athletics, basketball, if you missed a Saturday practice, you don't play the next week. Right. So I couldn't, I couldn't take time off of practice or basketball to go hunting. I always wanted to do it, but um, the only thing that I could do is like they would give us opening day. Yeah, sure, go ahead. And my, like my dad, at what I thought, my dad was a diehard. You know, he was like he was a bow hunter, he's a rifle hunter, he kills a buck every year. Like I thought, my dad was like the man. So how I got into bow hunting was when I graduated college. I had a roommate that uh, he was a bow hunter as well, and I had hunted here and there like like I said with a rifle and once high school hit I didn't really hunt anymore I just did it when middle school and then throughout college I would go once or twice a year and when I graduated I bought myself a bow that was my graduation present to myself and the idea there was um, my parents had gotten a divorce my senior year of high school Mm -hmm. and my relationship with my dad was kind of weird so I wanted to build my relationship with my dad. So I bought a bow because I thought bow hunting was like something that he loved to do. Yep. If I started doing it, we would build that relationship. And that's kind of how I, that's why I started bow hunting. That's kind of, that was in 2016. Okay. So you, you, you bought a bow, but then like you said, you were a hunter, but you weren't a hunter, if that makes sense. So were you, did you feel like you were a fish out of water when you bought oh. that? And you're like, oh, what the hell am I going to do now? <laughs> I mean, so kind of, but um, I always considered myself a fairly 
smart kid and I felt like I could figure things out. And it's funny because, oh man, the, the, the journey has just been such a trip. Like it is, <laughs> it is a hundred percent like the social media journey. Like, so I went to school for accounting, right? It was a CPA. Okay. And, um, the kid and the, the kid that I roomed with in college was like, dude, we should buy a camera and we should film our hunts. Cause I would turkey hunt and stuff, but I, I wasn't much of a deer hunter. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, dude, let's do it. So before I even bought a bow, I bought a camera. So like I was fully intended on like filming hunts and making a show, you know, and I had a page. It was called Autumn Leaf Outdoors and Look at um, you. I think all of us said I had one <laughs> back yes, in the day. Like, I didn't know a thing about actually hunting, but I had the social media game like figured out. So I started that before I had ever even killed a deer and I was getting sponsors and I like I I I talked the talk, right? I was the I was like, Oh yeah, I can I can talk with the best of them, but my uh, my hunting knowledge at the time was like uh, typical rifle hunter, typical uh, Pennsylvania rifle hunter, and I don't okay. mean that in like a bad way or anything. Like, but I've um, part of my job here at Exodus is to film whitetail cribs, and we travel all over the country and listen to deer hunting stories with that, and you can immediately tell where someone's from by how they talk about hunting and how oh, they yeah. talk about deer. And, um, I was just the, I was the typical Pennsylvania rifle hunter. So I had some knowledge, uh, going into it, but in terms of like bow hunting, being close to deer, I was, yeah, I was a fish out of water. What about like tree stands and stuff like that? Like you knew they existed, but did you think, I mean, you started in 2016 podcasts are full form. Social media is, it's like at its highest peak i mean it still is but it's like you know what i mean you're you have influencers that you're watching or looking at you've got youtube that's crazy you know i remember when i started saddle hunting back in 2000 and like 10 or 11 like there was no you i mean there might have been i can't remember when youtube was created but like there was no youtube videos about it that wasn't like it was still forums and and stuff like that back in 2010 you know it was only yeah. 11 years ago you know yeah. so i thought saddles uh, were new last year <laughs> <laughs> right you know, and so like, how did the tree stand thing take off? Or like, did you, who was your mentor? Let's start with there. Did you have a mentor or did you have like a podcast or someone that you looked up to that was like, I'm going to learn from this guy. So at this time when I first started, it was my dad. But, um, what I quickly grew to realize was that my dad wasn't as into it as I thought he was. Okay. So, um, he used a climber, so I used a climber. And he was, like, talking about, like, oh, you got to hunt in different areas. Like, he knew what he was doing, mm-hmm. but he didn't have the time to do it, and he just wasn't – he's a um, dirt track racer. Like, that's okay. what his passion is. He loves to hunt, but, like, dirt track sprint car racing is, like, what he lives for. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had that mixed up. I thought he was more of a hunter. And so initially, yes, I started learning from him, but – um he's a guy that's hunted the same property for 40 years. So gotcha. he knew where to go. He knew what the deer did in that area. There wasn't a whole lot of like figuring it out. It was more of like, okay, this is the time I need to be in this area. Didn't run yeah. a bunch of trail cameras. Like he wasn't, um, he wasn't a diehard, like the, the way I thought he was. He just would take a week off in November he'd go hunt and he'd wait for rifle season. So 
the mentorship was him until I started working at Exodus. So I guess I'll kind of start diving into that. Yeah. Um, like that's when it really started for me. So it was 2018. I was like really into my accounting career and I was uh, just thinking like, man, there's got to be something else, you know, like I, I went to school for this. I understand that, but I do not want to sit behind this desk every day of my life. And I would always find myself coming into work early or leaving work late with my camera in my hand. And I had just started kind of freelance uh, videography and it, it was, I was working for Cody Nixon uh, with Shady Lake Visionaries and I was filming weddings. So I was getting some video background in me. I had, um, was, I just knew that I wanted to do something different. So I quit my job in April of 2019. I quit my job as an accountant, CPA, like making a lot of money, doing really good for myself. I just was like, I'm done. And I started working for Cody full time filming weddings. So it was like, that's crazy, from, dude. Yeah. I was like from nine to five, um, accounting job to like one video a week and just doing whatever the hell I wanted. And I, I quit in April of 2019 because I had a turkey hunt scheduled in Nebraska <laughs> Easter weekend. So April 15th was tax deadline. I do my last tax return. I'm done. And I go to Nebraska and I don't work again. Uh, I didn't plan on working again. I planned on 100% freelancing and working for Cody Film and Wedding. So that, um, that turkey season, I sat down with a friend of mine named David Weaver and he uh he was also a fairly new hunter and um we kind of had similar paths he was a little younger than i am and he was trying to get into videoing and stuff too so we went turkey hunting one morning and we sat down for breakfast and he was like ah oh, man i i didn't uh i didn't get that exodus internship i was like hmm i wonder if they filled it because i live 10 15 minutes from the office mm -hmm. and I met Jake and Chad at uh, Total Archery Challenge in Pennsylvania, and I did a project for them, a photography project for them one time, and I text Jake, like, hey, did you guys get an intern? And he was like, no, we haven't filled it. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll do it. And he was like, well, send your resume in. Sent my resume in. Uh, it's like a couple days later, I'm sitting on a mountain in Pennsylvania turkey hunting, and they're like, can you do a phone interview? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> so... <laughs> I do a I do a phone interview in the woods, turkey hunting. Uh, the next week, I go in for an in person interview, and they're just like, "It's yours if you want it." So that's kind of how I got hooked up with Exodus, and that's when I like really was my passion was like full on, like this is my life, this is what I'm gonna do, and it it was like before it was more videography, and now mm -hmm. it's like hunting, yeah, and um, my role with Exodus was going to be, I was an intern at first and my first project was repurposing previous podcasts into smaller portions, smaller digestible portions. Yep. So I was forced to listen to every podcast that trail cam radio had aired. And like, there's two things you can do with that. You can just sit there and listen to it or you can like digest it. And it was like 
an absolute blessing from God. They were just like, here's all this information, and it is now your job to retain it, find the interesting stuff, find what you think people can learn from, and put it on the internet. And I added a really good perspective with that because I was new. I didn't know anything. So if I thought something was interesting that I've never heard before, it might have been common nature to Chad and Jake. And I was like, whoa, I've never heard that. And so that's like, that's how I started. And that's, wow. that's, why, I, that's why I say I'm a product of podcasts because literally that was my job. Yeah, I mean, you were getting paid literally to learn how to hunt deer. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was kind of, it took me a long time to like really realize, but I mean, you can, you can look at that and like, um, you can either choose to learn it and apply it or you can just look at it as your job. And mm -hmm. I had enough passion for deer hunting that I wanted to learn. And when I started, I didn't know who John Eberhardt was. I didn't know who Dan Infault was. I didn't know any of these people. I knew the Lakoskis. I knew T-Bone. Yep. I knew like the, the famous celebrity TV hunters. And then once I dove into like podcasting and like, um, I don't really know what the correct terminology is for these type of people like Dan and John. They're not, I don't want to call them celebrities because they're not on TV, but um, their group, that group of people, like the mobile hunter crew, man, I just, my mind absolutely just exploded with information you know it's funny that that's the path you took because it's not funny but i have a similar path in the fact of like i've hunted since i was 12 but i, I you know i at one time i had somebody ask me like when did you really take hunting seriously and i thought to myself like what, what the hell do you mean like i've been a serious hunter my whole life <laughs> but no i really haven't like I always thought I was because I hunted and I was passionate about it. But for the longest time, I was just going to a stand over a bait pile in Michigan and it was the only stand I hunted. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, you know, through all the way through through high school until I got into college and I was in the same boat. Like I played sports and I went to college and played a sport. So it like took up a lot of my time, but I still loved to do it. But honestly, it wasn't until I started my senior year of college and like getting my internship with the Kiefer's, which would have been spring of 2012 is when I really started really digesting it, like really learning it like at a rapid pace. And yeah. I knew about John Eberhardt at that time, just because I am in the same hometown he is, mm -hmm. but I didn't know I didn't. I didn't have the outlets. Like I never. I didn't know anything about Dan and Fault. I didn't know anything about the Hunting Beast forums. I wasn't a reader. I didn't like to read. I wasn't going to go on the computer and read. It's just not. You know. I. It's just wasn't me. So, right. I learned a lot. Like, from the Kiefer's first and foremost, in getting out of Michigan and starting to hunt other places and seeing other things. And yeah. then once that started culminating, podcasts really started taking off. And then I've been listening to podcasts since probably 2000. Well, Wired to Hunt when and Working Class Bowhunter were the first ones I listened to. So like 2013, 14, somewhere in there. You know, and that really expedited the process as well. And I just think that's pretty cool how, uh, how our paths are kind of similar in a way, you know, um, but definitely that's a scary jump for you 
going oh from a CPA to being like, I'm going to be a freelancer. <laughs> you know oh my God. I mean? my After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. My parents were so mad at me. Like, <laughs> I can only I, imagine. Uh, I had, like, it was a, yeah, it was a very big risk, but um, I just wasn't happy with what I was doing. And I just, I, I knew there was something more for me out there. And if, like, you just have to listen to yourself. Like, I was leaving work early or coming into work early because I was going to take pictures of trail cameras hanging on trees. Or my first project ever was with uh, Dan Bayes. He had a product called the Hang On Helper. So something that was supposed to help you hang hang on tree stands easier. And I had a Canon T5i, took it out of the box, put the thing on a tree, took pictures of it, and I sent them to him. And this was without having like a an industry eye. You know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. like yeah. try to copy people in the industry. I just had my own perspective with it. Sent him the photos and he was like, dude, these are the best pictures of this product anyone's ever sent me. And I was like, well, that's good because they're the first pictures I've ever taken. (laughs) (laughs) And I took them on my iPhone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I had that Canon T5i and I, um, I, I started doing some stuff with Dan and I just, my passion for being creative and videography kind of took off. And, um, I started filming for Dan's show. It was a, um, web show called the Tyneman. And it was just a small show, uh, Carbon TV exclusive deal. And um, this this will kind of bring us into the, the first buck that I've, I, I ever killed. And it was 2018. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to film my hunts. You know, I'm a big, big hunter, big filmer. And I got all these sponsors. You know, I've never even killed a buck before. You're the, ne- you're the next Michael Waddell. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was it, man. You know? And I... <laughs> There's a really funny story on that too that I'll, I maybe if we have time I'll dive into it later. But it's yeah. actually how I met my girlfriend, and uh, <laughs> so I'm up in the tree. Right, it's November, and I have my camera arm set up, and I just got a picture of this really nice buck, and I'm hunting a property that um, an ex NFL player owns, and he's a local guy here. His name's Mike Adams. He kind of took me under his wing and was like, "Hey, man, any property that I can hunt." you can hunt. So I was like, okay, cool. But Mike was like four year old or better, four year old or better, four year old, mm-hmm. four year old or better. I've never killed a buck with my bow. So that was like challenging <laughs> for me. 
And I was like, man, like, I don't want, number one, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to kill a deer. Right. And so I get this picture of this buck and I'm like, okay, I have no idea how to age a deer, but he's big. So I sent him the picture. I'm like, hey, Mike, can I kill this deer? And I'm sitting in the tree stand and three or four hours go by. And oh, God. yeah, he texts me back. He's like, oh, sure, man, go ahead. <laughs> 15 minutes later, that deer shows up. No way. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my God. And he's chasing off all these other bucks and chasing a doe around. It was like my first rutting experience. I had a little spike come underneath my tree, and um, he came in chasing that spike off, and I shot him at like 20 yards and watched him die, and it was like a crazy cool experience, 136-inch deer. Dude, for your first buck with a bow? Yeah, man. Like, You know how long it took me to kill a 130-inch deer with my bow? (laughs) I know. Like, that's like my entire career has been like just you start like you're just thrown into it you know what i mean like i didn't have to go grind it out and go kill a big deer like my first buck i ever killed with a bow was big so Mm -hmm. like i just i don't know i'm extremely lucky and that was actually like um a scenario where i went in the previous day hung a set in the pouring down rain because i got that deer's photo so before I even knew what I was doing, I just had good instincts. I like, I was like, oh man, there's a deer here that I can shoot. I need to put a tree stand here. It's raining. It's pouring down rain. This would be a good time to hang it. He's not going to be up moving around. He won't know I'm here. I go in the next day and I kill him. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, it was like without even knowing that that's like what I was supposed to do. That's what I did. And yeah, yeah. that was uh, November 17th, 2019 was uh, my first bow kill, and yeah, it was a 136-inch deer. Your first bow kill buck, right? Not not your first bow with a, with a or first deer with a bow, right? Correct. So that's uh, <laughs> that's the uh, the first buck with a bow, or the first deer with a bow was in 2016, October 12th. This is three months after I bought a bow. So okay. I buy the bow after I graduate college, start shooting it a little bit, and I'm like, okay, I can go hunt, and... I go out in October, sit in a tree stand that's been in, in this tree for 20 years. And, it, like, it's on that property that my dad's just always hunted. So we kind of have it figured out. And I shoot a doe. I'm out there October 12th. I shoot a doe. And I shoot this thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just shot a deer. And I call my buddy. And I'm like, hey, man, I just shot a, I shot a doe. I shot her. He's like, did you hit her? I'm like, I think so. And... It like the deer ran like 40 yards and died, but like I didn't know to like watch it. And I shot the deer, put my bow on the thing, and started like just freaking out because I was like, <laughs> oh my God. And um, I had to go back the next day and find it, and it was 30 yards away because I could I didn't know how to track. Like, yep. when I shot deer with a rifle, I watched it fall. So I've never had to track anything, and I never really consumed any information on how to track or I never had anyone teach me. So I was like, oh man, I shot this deer. And he was like, just leave. And um, we went in the next day, found her. And I I dug this up because I wanted to have some stats for you and some numbers on uh, kind of how I got started. Yep. It was October 12, 2016. And I had to look back on my old phone because I actually didn't post that picture because I was ashamed that I shot a doe. And it was like, see, okay, so I want to stop you right there, real quick. Because when you told me this off record, I'm like, this is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation. Because you know how many people out there, before they go to shoot a deer, their probably first thought is, 
will this get accepted on social media? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I used to I used to say it. I'm not going to lie to you. A couple years ago, it was like, what are my buddies going to think about it? What is, Can I post it on Instagram? Like, am I going to get... And then there was power in the in the moment when I said, screw that. Screw that. Screw everything that people say. Do what you want to do and, you know, and own it. And there was power in that because that is stressful. <laughs> it is oh stressful. There's so much anxiety. I remember I'd get a lot of texts from cousins, you know, buddies, my dad, they would text me, hey, I got this buck in front of me. You know, here's a picture of him. Should I shoot it? And my my response was always, if you're asking me if you should shoot it, you shouldn't shoot it. Yeah, right. If you don't know in your, you know, in your gut right away, then don't shoot it. But if you know, then shoot it. I had a conversation with the guy last night. We were talking about, you know, shooting three and a half year olds in Michigan. I And that's, that's what I try to strive for. But I said, I'll screw up and shoot a two and a half year old because... We have two and a half year olds that are 110 inches, and guess what? A 110 inch buck in Michigan still excites the hell out of me. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? I've killed way bigger deer, but for some odd reason, behind my house or around my house, when I get a picture of a 110 inch eight pointer, I get jacked. Yeah, I just do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, and if you if you don't, you shouldn't be hunting. Exactly. Exactly. You know, but 110 inch deer in 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 like an Ohio or you know uh, Illinois or wherever else, I don't even touch my bow for. It's so weird that transformation. Like when you when you cross state lines, it's like we're we're in a different world now. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's all relevant. It definitely is. So you didn't post that picture. You felt very, very like ashamed. So what what did you do? Like, did you tell buddies? Did you? you know, flaunt it without, not flash and say flaunt it, but you know, you, you had to been excited. Did that take away from any of your excitement though? Not really because, um, so I don't know if you listen to Matt Rinella and Steve Rinella's kind of argument about like social media and he thinks like a bunch of people are hunting for the wrong reasons. And yep. at this time I was, I was kind of hunting to put stuff on social media. Okay. I was I was hunting to build my relationship with my dad, right? But I was like, oh, man, I want to kill a big buck and post a big picture of it. And I also had some locals that were in my uh, town. And my interests are shifting as a person at this point. I was like a big jock in high school. But like now I'm getting into the indoors or the outdoors. And I want to relate to these people. And I want to be accepted with these people and like, I want to kill a buck so that they would talk to me about hunting. And I felt like yeah. until I did that, they would be like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I pulled it up right now. It's a draft on that Autumn Leaf Outdoors page. Like I was going to post it and here's the caption. Tonight's a night we will never forget here at Autumn Leaf Outdoors. Team member Cameron Durr harvests his first animal with a bow. We love seeing new archers have success in the field. This doe was shot at 23 yards and only ran 30. What an amazing hunt. And like I'm sitting here in this picture with my scent lock base layers on. I got face paint on. Like I was the ultimate pro <laughs> yeah. staffer. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, I have the biggest smile on my face, but it's a draft on Facebook. I never posted it because I was like, okay, I'm trying to be this guy that I'm not. Like I'm 
I'm trying to promote these products and are people going to want to sponsor me if I'm, if I'm shooting does and I'm not shooting bucks. And there was a ton of stuff, but like in my core, I was so happy. I told, I called my dad and I was like, Oh my God, uh, the moment was there. And, um, I would kind of agree with Matt in a way that like it did take away some of the excitement because I didn't post the picture and I didn't get a bunch of people telling me good job. But in my core, I was very, very proud of what I was doing, and my dad was proud of me, and at that point, like, that's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't post the picture because I didn't want to disappoint anyone, I guess, but at the same time, I'm almost glad that I didn't share that because that was the first experience that I had as a bow hunter, killing an animal, harvesting an animal, and I looking back on it, like I'm glad that congratulations and that proud moment was just between me and my dad and my close friends and not people that I was trying to impress because they don't even care who I am anyway. Yep. That's huge. That's huge, man, that you were able to recognize that then. Um, and, and definitely put a positive spin on it because I could definitely see where people would have the same feeling. You know what I mean? Like, what they oh. want to be someone i i know i know guys like this right now that want a tv show that aren't in that aren't ingested in the industry like like a you or i are and i want to be i don't want to be an asshole but i want to be like you don't want that trust yeah. me you yeah, don't think about want why that. you're doing this yes you don't want that you cannot get I'm not saying you cannot but it's a small fraction of people that get rich or make a really good living being a hunter for a living, you know, and it's just, you don't want that. No, (laughs) you don't. Yeah. I, I completely agree. And I mean, being the creative director here at Exodus, like I get a ton of message about sponsorships and I'll like go look at their channels and there's people that have like 24 subscribers and they are me then. Yes. And And me back then. Right, and I just want to say, like, hey, man, just enjoy this for what it is. Hunt for the reasons that you want to hunt. Don't hunt because you want to impede someone else. You want to impress someone else. Like, just do it for yourself. And um, I don't know, just being being that I, I wanted to – I worked with a camera, right? I was a social media guy. I was, like, posting my pictures to social media, and I just grew up in that world. And I thought, like – Oh, those guys are so cool. Those guys that are posting all these pictures and they're killing all these big bucks. They're so cool. And I wanted to be like that. But at the same time, I was like, think of the big picture here. Like, why are you actually doing this? And I kind of thought all about, I thought about all of this when Steve and Matt had that argument about like people hunting for the wrong reasons. And I thought back to myself, like, okay, would I still be hunting if social media wasn't a thing? And my answer would be yes, but I'd be a way worse hunter. Mm-hmm. Because like, if it wasn't for social media, I wouldn't know who Dan Infault or John Eberhardt or Aaron Blasey or anyone was to be able to learn from them. So, um, like, yes, I would still hunt, but I would be way worse. Right. No, and I agree with that because, you know, and I listened to the Matt and Steve rant. And I'm on the fence with it both. I think they both make valid points. 
but where I have an issue with what Matt said about also basically all social media is bad. Like I don't agree with that. It's you not know? a social media problem. It's a people problem. It a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. And I like posting on social media. I don't do a lot of posting on social media, but I do like posting it on there and it's nothing to gloat or anything like that. But that's how people keep up with people now. Right. You yeah, know what I mean? It's, we live in. It, it's exactly right. You know, and it's, yes, I am partnered with a couple companies that I do get money from hundred percent. Now, do I need to do that? No, but I can tell you, I really enjoy doing podcasts and I really do enjoy hunting. And if I can make a little bit of money doing a passion that I love from my desk at home, you know, and, and making great connections and great networking with friends. And like you, I've never, I didn't know you, uh, you know, I knew of you, but I didn't know you a couple months ago. And now I feel like I've talked to you forever. Yeah. You know, and it's just like you and I were just talking about going on a hunt this next fall together. And it's like, that's cool. You know what I mean? That's the power of social media. Exactly. I do agree. And I have a long list of people on social media that I think are doing it for the wrong reasons. And, but that's not, never, not here or there. But anyway, yes, I agree. And I guess I, I was hunting before social media. And I remember like, I remember when Facebook came out, I was a freshman in college. Okay. I didn't have a Facebook. I had a MySpace. Oh, I was MySpace and you know what I mean? Like yep. I had a MySpace and you know, that didn't last very long, but Facebook <laughs> was like, it just, it just wasn't, you know, something I was into. I can't remember when I got a Facebook. It was a while after that, but I never was like, felt like I had to post pictures on there to gloat or like, Hey, look at what I'm doing out today. I just checked into a a bar and grill. Like I never <laughs> felt once, you know what I mean? Like I just yeah. never, I don't use social media the way that social media is intended to you to be used. I, I, I would think, right. You know? Yep. So I, agree with that. <clears throat> I like showing, th- I like showing, yeah, my dead animals to other people. I do, but for not for bad reasons, not for me being like, Hey Cameron, I killed a bigger deer than you did this year. Right. You know what I mean? It's not a dick measuring contest to me. And you didn't kill that deer just to post it. Like, no, you killed it for all the other reasons. And then you're like, okay, well, I have social media. I can influence people. I can show people what's out there. And yeah. okay, I'm going to use that tool as well. I think Matt's argument is extremely selfish. I would agree with you. He doesn't want more hunters because exactly. his hunting spots are getting blown up. I like, think he's butthurt. Yes, exactly. He's butthurt because he's a public land hunter and there's people in his parking spots when he gets there. Yeah, like, okay, that's not a social media problem. That's a people problem. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm, I'm, I think his argument's a little bit selfish. But anyway, I ca- um, kind of went off tangent a little bit there. We're getting on a rant there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my personal feelings on social media are that they are – social media is a powerful tool, and it's up to the person to use it the way that they want to use it. If you – want to post pictures of your dead animals because it makes you feel good. Like I'm good for you. Mm-hmm. But the way I look at social media is that's my one. Number one, being a 28, 29 year old man, that's my news source right now. And 
that is also how I feed my passion when I'm not in the woods. Um, like if I, I don't know, I guess you can't really consider podcasts social media, but without social media, there probably wouldn't have been podcasts. You would have mm-hmm. no way to tell anyone about it. So right. po- I'm a, I am a product of social media, hunting social media because of podcasts. And I'm a product of YouTube hunting YouTube if you're watching and consuming the correct content. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, like I said, my, my job here at Exodus was to edit the podcast and I would listen to it. And I had a very open mind going into that because I already felt like I didn't know anything. And so when these guys are talking and then I'm applying it, I'm like, Oh wow, this does work. And what these guys are right. saying really works. And, um, the biggest influence outside of podcast was the hunting public for me. And I, I, uh, I kind of built my hunting style off of watching them. Um, I, I was, I never had a style to begin with cause I was so new, so I didn't have to break anything. You know what I mean? I never had any bad habits to break. Mm-hmm. So watching those guys, I learned a ton listening to podcasts. I learned a ton. I don't listen to music. I know it's, it's like, a, I don't either. Hardly. <laughs> Yeah, it's something like people look at me like I'm crazy, like other guys in the office, my girlfriend, she's like, You don't listen to music? I'm like, No, when I drive, when I'm and I drive a lot, I listen to podcasts or I listen mm-hmm. to an audiobook. I'm always trying to take in information because like if you you we have it at our fingertips. All of this information is free. It's all being put out there. And if you're not like if you're driving down the road and you're listening to this podcast, for example, and if you're just hearing what I'm saying, it's not going to do you any good. But if you actually listen to what these people are talking about, and then if you hear something that's interesting to you, go back and listen to it again or take notes. Like you can up your hunting game like immensely, exponentially. Listen, here is my like stat line, my resume. I killed my first deer with a bow October 12th 2016 killed my first buck with a bow 2017 since then I've killed six bucks with a bow four years six bucks with a bow all because that's crazy all because of the information that's out there I'm not hunting like some primo ground I live in northeast Ohio one of the most densely populated counties in Ohio like Cleveland's an hour away Pittsburgh's an hour away like Akron, Canton, there's all these heavily populated areas. So I'm not on a thousand acre piece of ground. I'm on a 20 acre piece here, 20 acre piece there. And I hunt differently than everyone else around all the locals because these guys aren't listening to podcasts. They're not watching YouTube. They're not learning. They're watching the guys that are on TV and they're reading magazines and they're hunting Mm -hmm. the same way. And like people look at me and they're like, Oh my God, how are you doing this? It's like, I'm not doing anything different. Or I'm not doing anything special. I'm just using the information that's out there and I'm applying it. It's, it's like once you really break it down, it's fairly simple. It's not mm-hmm. easy. It's not easy at all, but it's fairly simple. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, to I, I've been invested in the TV side of hunting for the last 10 years, for a decade. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I love it. I still do really like it. But TV hunting, uh, when you watch something on something on TV that is hunting related, 
It is pure entertainment. Yep. It is entertainment. Not saying you can't learn anything, but you don't, you know, hunting shows, they're restricted to 22 minutes of content. Right. So it's really hard to get their point out there in which I think, I mean, there's some really good TV hunters out there. There really oh, yeah. are. You know what I mean? You know, I don't know if a lot of those guys, if you put them on public, I don't know if they go kill the deer or kill the best deer. Don't know. I can't answer that. They are on good ground. Don't get me wrong. I said this to a guy last night. You're only as good as your property. Barn, yeah. I mean, period. I don't care if you disagree with me. In my eyes, that's it. You're only as good as your ground. So, you know, TV hunting is purely entertainment. Now, to go back to the podcast side of things, I hate reading. I already said that. Mm-hmm. Hate reading. I will never go read a forum. I won't go into Archer Talk. Won't give me audio form, and I will digest it until the cows come home. Yeah, I'm the same that's way. why I love podcasts so much, and that's why I learn so much. And to kind of go back a little bit to talk about um, you guys out there, we talk that want to be like a, on TV to hunt. You don't want to do it. No. Me, personally, I've been ingested in it for 10 years now, and all I want to do for myself, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean I don't want to go create content for the people that I work for and everything. It's That's not it. I still really enjoy creating content around hunting. I really do. But for my hunting experiences, for what I do, Aaron Blasey, what I want the fall podcast to be is I would, I just want to go hunt and I want to go learn. I want to learn what, you know, uh, you know, um, I'm, uh, Troy Pottinger or something like that is telling me. Yeah. And I want to go and apply it on my ground and see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, that's where my head's at. Like, I did used to be the guy that was like, I want to hunt for a living. I want to be in the outdoors. But really, it's not what it's like shit. You know, it's not what it's looks like it is on TV. It's not that. No, and if you're like trying to get into the YouTube game, YouTube is so hard. So hard, it is. Everyone's doing it, and what are you doing that's different? Like most of the time, nothing at all. Um, and I used to think that people that killed like big deer were special, and I used to think like, oh man, this guy, if he would have got that on film, he killed a hundred and sixty inch deer, like it would have went viral. Mm-hmm. People kill big deer every day. Yep. Like every single day. My job with Exodus and Whitetail Cribs is touring the world, touring the country, looking at big deer. And I haven't, we've done 120 episodes and I haven't ran out of people to talk to. Like people kill big deer every day. Mm-hmm. So like the YouTube game and the, the hunting TV game, it is not what it used to be. Um, if you got in it in the 90s, like good for you. But like starting out right now, Man, it's it's a it's a game that you're gonna be sadly, um, like you're gonna be humbled pretty quickly. For sure. What I got, I got a question, a little transition here, a little little uh, segue. What what? Because you you've done so many whitetail cribs episodes. Mm-hmm. You filmed them. You've been in so many people's houses, trophy rooms, etc. After seeing and talking to all these big buck killers what to you makes like a really good deer hunter or killer i guess you could say like what you know there's trigger men out there 
there really is. There's guys that are, you know, you and I talked about a couple guys that like hunt over a corn pile with a crossbow and they've killed 75 whitetails over 160. That's, (laughs) that's, that's awesome. I'm happy for you, but you're a trigger man. You know what I mean? Like, like I'm talking about the guys that are ingested, do the work and, you know, adapt to the situation, figure out the terrain. Like, is it something is, is, is what makes a big, is what makes a really good killer or a hunter in your eyes, someone that kills big deer or is it like something that like kills bucks consistently, regardless of size? Like what, what is, what is that? I think there's, there's a bunch of different ways to look at that question. Um, obviously killing mature deer, hunting a mature deer is a different animal. It, it's a totally different uh, category of deer. Like there's two year olds and there's five year olds. And, um, like there is a guy that comes to mind. His name's Paul Watt. It's a white tail cribs episode. Dude lives in a double white trailer and he hunts public ground and he kills a solid buck every single year. Solid as in like how big you think in a solid? I like one, he has a couple one sixties There's some one forties There's some one thirties. Um, he okay. has some one tens, like he has things in all these different types of ranges, but this is a blue collar guy that's killing mm-hmm. bucks because it's also his food. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he's kayaking into public land with his bow, setting up on him and killing him every single year consistently. And, um, consistency is like the one, the number one thing. Like if you can do, whatever you're doing consistently, like you're on another level cause this stuff is hard. But, um, he was a guy that I left and I was like, Oh man, he's a good hunter. And then, um, cause it's all relevant, right? Like if a deer gets to three years old where I live, like it's a mature deer, yep. but you go to Scott Buckley's house in Iowa and he's not picking up his bow unless the deer's five mm-hmm. and he's still doing that consistently. So you leave Scott's house and like, oh my God, this guy, like he knows what he's doing. And one thing that you pick up on, and it was something that I was trying to showcase with Whitetail Cribs, but the content kind of changed, was how these guys are living. If you pick up on certain things about like how they live, most of the time, these guys are extremely, extremely like attention to detail is like the top of the priority. Like you'll open their fridge and all the bush light cans are turned the same way and you'll go to their camo closet and everything's color coordinated. All their socks are here. All their underwear is here. Like they're, you use the term surgical in that Mm -hmm. underground podcast. Like you go to someone's house and you look at how neat and surgical they are with how they live. Just imagine how they hunt. Yeah. Cause that's what they're really passionate about. They don't, they're not passionate about bush light cans. Like they're passionate about hunting. So I was trying to kind of showcase that in Whitetail Cribs and like show like, okay, here's this guy that has a bunch of big deer. You can tell that he's not, he's a trigger man. Like look at everything else in his house. It's disorganized. I'm not trying to like, that's how you want to live. That's fine. But if you want to take, if you want to be on that next level, you need to treat everything in your life super, you have to pay attention to the details. Because, like, in deer hunting, that small detail could be the uh, difference between filling your tag or going home empty-handed. Yes, very much so. And that's something I'm learning, too. And 
as far as like, I, I was listening to, what the hell was I listening to today? I think I was listening to Clint Campbell's podcast today mm-hmm. and he had Jesse Coots on and he was talking about how his 14 year old daughter, he was hunting with his 14 year old daughter. She was sitting in a stand. He was sitting in a different stand, like a certain, a certain distance apart, like 80 yards apart. Okay. Mm-hmm. They get up in the stand. She texts him and says, Dad, the wind switched. I think we should get down. The wind's bad. What? She's 14. Oh, my gosh. So that's a detail. Okay, so this is one of my buddies gives me a lot of shit for this. This year, this this fall, I pulled the plug. I did three hanging hunts, and I pulled the plug on them after about an hour. Like prime time, it like two, one was in the rut, one was end of October, and one was kind of like in the middle, like earlier part, middle to early part of October. Mm-hmm. I pulled the plug. I got down and left. And I, te- I like, I'll send a Snapchat to my buddy. And he's like, dude, you take this ser- this wind thing seriously. I'm like, dude, like, you have to. Yeah, you're you not going to kill the deer if he smells you. No, and I'm on, I might not ever see that deer again. Like right. this year, the last one I did was early November. I got up in a spot. I'm like this. I'm I'm on a pinch, and I'm like I'm gonna kill a buck right here tonight. I sat there for two and a half hours. I have literally 45 minutes of light left, and the wind. I felt it come around and hit me in the back of the neck, and I'm like I'm getting down. I immediately yeah. loaded my bow, pulled my stand, and got out of there. Yeah. So that's, that's those are the detail things, and I didn't know that for the longest time. Honestly, I've only started doing that like the last couple of years. Yeah, that's something I was going to say, too. Like, well, number one, that's something the killers that I talked about, like, that's something they would all have done, too. Mm-hmm. And that's the things that the trigger men wouldn't have done. Yep. They would have just been like, well, I'm just going to put some more corn out, and I'm going to go, I'm just going to go hunt more. And mm-hmm. they're getting it done, too, but it's just a different way. And um, I wanted to say, too, like, so within um, – my career here with Exodus, I've been here with like th- for three years, and so I've been editing podcast episodes, Trailcam Radio podcast episodes, for three years now. And this year is the first year that I like I made moves that made sense. You know what I mean? I wasn't just going out there and hunting. Um, like I was applying what people were saying like mentally as well as physically but previously um previous years i'm like okay dan Infault says i need to scout more so i'd go out and scout more but i didn't know what i was looking for and um like people say okay i need to hunt downwind of doe bedding areas and i'm like trying to understand like okay how do i do that i'm looking for bedding areas and stuff so I'm listening, I'm hearing all this information. I'm like, okay, I'm making one right move and I'm killing a deer. I'm like, okay, what did I do that that allowed me to kill that deer? And then this year is the first year that it's starting to like I'm able to pick my spots and I'm able to like know, okay, this is when I need to strike. And that is a super, super, super satisfying thing. Like when you start oh, yeah. When you start doing things that make sense and they pay off, like that move you made to tear down three times, like that was with reason, not where like, oh, I think I need to do this. Like there's no hesitation. Like, okay, wind's wrong. I got to get out of there. 
Yep. Like this is the first year that I was like, okay, like the North Dakota hunt, I went in with a plan. This is my best buck to date I killed in North Dakota. And I had a plan. I was like, okay, I want to glass a deer. I want to watch what he does. And I want to make a game plan off of that. So first opening night, I don't hunt. I glass. Sitting back, glassing. Big deer gets up out of his bed, walks a certain trail. I'm like, okay, it's September. Deer are probably going to hold to a pattern. Next day, or the next day, going on the ground. Um, <clears throat> some deer come in, bust me. Okay, like I had the idea, like oh, I want to kill him on the ground because I've I've killed three bucks on the ground, and I'm like, oh, there's nothing like this. Like that, that's where my oh my god, that's what I live for. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, be smart about this. Do you want to hunt on the ground or do you want to kill a deer? So I get on that trail in a tree. So opening night, glass him. Second night, he doesn't show up. Third night, I kill him. And he was doing exactly what I watched him do. So it was kind of like I made my game plan. I knew what I wanted to do. I put the wind in my favor. And it was like a super, super surgical move. And like I'm not saying this to gloat by any means, but like this was a detail that I picked up on in a podcast and I applied it. So I had a south, 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 southeast wind on my access. I was watching the hourly forecast. As I was accessing, I, I knew the wind was forecasted to switch to a north-northwest, and that's the, the wind that I needed. But the south-southeast wind was going to be better for my access. So I accessed when that wind was shifting, and when I walked in, I got set up, the wind was shifting, the deer had to shift their beds because it went from a south-southeast to a north-northwest, complete right. opposite winds. Their beds didn't work out. So I knew, okay, this deer's in this cattail slough. When this wind shift, he's going to have to get up and switch to this different cattail slough. And when he did that, I killed him. So it was like I had that surgical move, and I was like, okay, this is what, this is what I need to do, and it paid off. And then I killed a buck mm-hmm. in Ohio this year where I watched three bucks walk one trail. And again, I'm like, I'm on the ground with a decoy trying to be Jared Scheffler, and I'm like, okay, this is how I want to do it. I want to call. I want to rattle. But as I was hunting, I watched three bucks walk the same trail. And one was a really good buck. So the next morning I go in, hang a set. One of those three bucks walked that trail again. The next day, the big one walks the trail and I kill him. And it was like. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like. It was, I knew that was going to happen. And I made the correct move rather than being stubborn like no i want to kill him on the ground i want to rattle him in i want to use this decoy on like and that was a situation where i used annual trail camera data to do it i had a picture of that same deer last year on november 9th well this year he shows up on november 9th again so i know what he's going to do next november 10th i kill him Mm -hmm. so like those aren't things that i would have ever knew to do if i wasn't listening to people on podcasts yeah. And that's a theme that I've had so far. I mean, we're early into 2022 right now, but that's a theme that I've been talking about the last couple of podcasts is like your gut feeling going with your gut yep. and, and having these preconceived notions of like, cause I've seen Lee Likoski have a lush, you know, clover plot. That's what I need to do to kill deer here. No, it's yeah. not. Nope. You know, like you said, you wanted to be Jared Scheffler. Yep. That is like, 
you know, if that's what you want to do, then, you know, do that till the cows come home. But until you did what Cameron needed to do, that's right. when you were successful. Jared does what Jared needs to do because that's what Jared needs to do. He doesn't look at anybody and is like, hey, I need to be like, you know, Tim Wells right. or something. You know what I right. mean? So it's like I get what you're saying too because this year when I kill my Michigan buck on the ground, is the first buck I've ever killed on the ground. Oh and, God. you know, and I saw him like <clears> – and <throat> I'm in farm country where my house is at where I killed him. Dude, I – hunted only 13 sets this year and killed wow. three great bucks. Wow. And I only hunted two mornings. That's efficient. <laughs> but the other days, you know, there was there was more days than those 13 that I actually made sets. I was scouting every morning. I take my daughter to school. I drive the section. Yep. I'm looking. I'm seeing what deer are doing. I'm trying to figure out where they're going in, where they're coming out, if one's on a doe, can I make a move? Do I need to make a move now? Like I'm, I heard Andy May talk about that like two years ago on a podcast. And I said, I'm doing that. Like I physically said that. And when, and for the first like two years, I didn't do that. When he was like, you need to scout more than you're hunting. I'm like, that's, that's absolutely bullshit. No, <laughs> you, you need to kill him because you need to be in the stand, which I've reversed that. Yeah. I 100% agree with him. When it's applicable, right, I don't hunt right. a lot of mornings in farm country anymore. Not to say I won't, but I would much rather do a gas and glass, figure out where a deer's moving, where I can see a long way and make a move. Yeah. And if you see him do something in the morning and he's on some sort of pattern and you have the same conditions, like, and you're able to go in, go ahead and kill him in the morning, or you know which bed he came out of, which way yeah. he's going back to bed. He's yep. not going to, he's going to be there when you go in at night. Yep. So yeah, that's, I mean, I just, I know it's, it's kind of like, uh, the people that are listening to this podcast already know that. And that's why they're listening to podcasts. And like they kind of have the idea like, okay, I want to learn. I wish there was a way to like tell more people that don't listen to podcasts to listen to podcasts. Yep. Cause this, this information would resonate a lot more with them because the people listening to this are like, yeah, no shit, dude. That's why I'm listening. Exactly. They're there's so, been like they've already tuned us out. They're like, yeah, we do this already. Right. You guys are just, <laughs> you know. But I I do encourage everybody that's listening. Tell someone that you know that doesn't listen to a podcast. Just say, hey, go listen to this. Yeah, and you'll learn. You'll get addicted to it. It yeah, and once you start applying it and seeing that it works, that's when it becomes addicting because you're like, okay, what else can I learn and apply? I'll get, how much more time do we have? Uh, to record? Yeah. Oh, as long as you want. All right. I want to. I want to like show a little bit more of this progression. So. Yeah. Um. I had and I had a buck that I killed, and um, it was in 2020. I killed this deer or 2000. Yeah, 2020. I killed two bucks with a bow on the ground this year. So. And I, I did them both the same exact way. And it was all from watching Zach Farinbaugh and the hunting public. So if you watch the him, they're, if you watch the hunting public, like they're very vocal, mm -hmm. but they don't do like the normal vocalizations always. Like they don't just rattle. If they rattle, they roll around on the ground and make a bunch of noise. If they're grunting, they're shaking trees to go along with it. Like they're adding a bunch of different vocalizations and I had a buck 
that was out uh, feeding in this giant open field, and I was laying in a ditch, and I was like, I, I, I was glassing, I was watching these deer. Was he by himself? Yeah, he was. This was November 24th, too. Okay. And he was out feeding in this field in the, in the evening, and earlier in the summer, I watched a bunch of bucks feeding out in this field, and I had an encounter with a, a pretty good seven-pointer earlier that year, so I knew I wanted to hunt that field. I'd go get in there, wait for the right wind, get in this ditch, and this deer steps out. And I had pictures of a deer with like a really big wide frame. And this, okay, so this would have been like my second or third buck with a bow. Probably it was the third. So big to me is different than big to other people. Mm-hmm. And I, like I had a big, it had a big frame. Like he was outside his ears and he was kind of tall. And I was like, oh my God, that's a deer. So I'm like thinking, okay, what do I do? And because he's just feeding and lights fading. So I crawled down the ditch a little bit to get to where if I grunted and he tried to circle downwind of me, he'd have to come within range. So I'm like, I'm in a ghillie suit um, and I'm crawling through this ditch and I get to a point in this ditch where I know like, okay, if I grunt, he's going to try to circle downwind. He's not going to be able to, it's an open field. So he's going to be like, what the heck's going on? And there's a um, row of like bushes. So I wanted to grunt behind those bushes to where like he would have to go look to see if there was a deer over there. Yep. And as I grunted, I just took my fists and punched the ground. And I was like punching the ground to like act like I was a deer scraping the ground. Mm -hmm. And then I was like shaking leaves and stuff to like add more vocalization. As soon as he heard that, he started walking like straight towards me. And I killed him at like eight yards. That's crazy, dude. So that same year, November 2nd in Pennsylvania, I hear some deer sloshing around this swamp behind me. Same thing. I grunt and I just start punching the ground. And this deer comes and I kill him at like arm's length. (laughs) That's awesome. It was absolutely insane. And like I would have never, ever, ever, ever done those things. I would have just grunted and they probably wouldn't have committed. Mm -hmm. But I was adding those other vocalizations. And then Chad, actually that same year, has uh, Chad, the owner of Exodus, has an encounter with like a 200-inch deer on public land. And he would not have had this encounter if I wasn't with him. And that's like kind of like, okay, chill out. But no, I'm serious. So um, I, I look, we hear this deer walking below us and he's making a scrape. So... Instantly in my head, I'm like, okay, this deer's kind of fired up, right? He's he's being aggressive, and it's like October yep. 17th. So I'm like, Chad, do you have a grunt call? He's like, no, I don't ever carry one. I'm like, oh, my God. So I turn around behind me, and there's like this hickory tree, and I just start shaking the tree, like aggressively. As soon as I stop, that deer comes to the base of our tree at seven yards. And the, the, he stopped like perfectly to where Chad couldn't shoot him. But Oh, no. Yeah, like we would have never known what the deer was if we didn't use some type of vocalization. And if I would have grunted, that deer probably would have just left town. Mm-hmm. He's like yeah. a six-year-old deer on public ground. He's heard that before. But there's not a whole bunch of people just going out and shaking trees. I know it, dude. I've, it's funny you say that. I've got two instances, learning instances, one with a decoy and one with on the ground with a vocalization. So in Michigan here, I think it was 2000, 2018, 
I had a decoy and I was sitting on a field edge of standing beans and I was on an inside corner and the wind was out of the west and I set up the decoy and I, I set him up in the field on this inside corner and I'm like, man, these, these, every time I've had a buck come to a decoy, it's, he's always faced him, you know, like come around right in the face. Yep. So if you can picture it, I'm facing west, the wind is out of the west, and the decoy is to my northwest, okay. if that makes sense. Yep. Okay, so the night goes on. This buck that I'm after, he's like 125-inch eight-pointer. He steps out, like the decoy is in between him and I. He steps out of the timber, a different section of timber, northwest of us, okay? And he's on the neighbors. I hit a grunt. He just looks up. Doesn't see the decoy. He just looks up. Goes back to eating beans. I hit another grunt. He just looks up. I'm like, shit. He is obviously doesn't care. So I pulled out my my bleat call. I hit a grunt. He looks up. He takes a step towards me. Goes back to eating. I bleat. He looks at me and comes running. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So he, I'm thinking this is going to happen. But what I didn't take into consideration was my decoy placement, what I thought was perfect. He didn't come and face him head on. He came downwind of him. He came to 35 mm-hmm. yards. I couldn't get a shot. He winded my decoy. Yeah. So that was like a learning moment. I didn't get a shot at him, but like a learning moment and like how to place my decoy with the wind, knowing like having that 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 instance of like he was a little leery about it and had to smell it first. So that yeah. was the first one. Second one, Casey and I are in Kansas. This was 2019. Right after I killed my Iowa buck, we went to Kansas. Seven days later, I kill a Kansas buck. I shoot him. He runs off like 60 yards, piles up. We get down. It's still daylight. We're at the deer, and we're we're just kind of doing our talk. All of a sudden, Casey goes, don't move. Big buck behind you. (laughs) And I look behind me, and he's like working through the timber. This is November 13th. I think 13th or 14th, somewhere in there. All of a sudden, Casey goes with his mouth. He does a snort wheeze. And right on cue, I take my hand and I just start raking the ground like shh, shh. That buck turns and comes on a rope to us. <laughs> comes oh, to yeah. like six yards. That's and obviously, fun. we, yeah, we couldn't do anything about it. But that's just one of those things like raking the ground too with a snort wheeze. It's like he was like ready, you know? It's, some of those things are cool and big learning points of like, you'll never forget that you put stomping the ground like that or shaking that tree. You'll never forget that. You'll always have that in your bag now because it worked. You'll try it again, you know? Yeah. And there's been plenty of times where I've just grunted a deer and they ran away. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So it's something that uh, like, especially if you're hunting pressured animals, if you add some different type of vocalization that a deer makes that a human doesn't make, that gives you a big advantage. Definitely. Yeah. That's so cool, man. I, I had think, fun on this, dude. This is yeah. this is some good talking. Yeah, I want to do it again. For sure. We should. I want to make one point. Like it, yeah. this is gonna be my concluder. Yep. The biggest thing that's ever helped me with hunting is questioning why. So hundred percent. I I'd second see, that. Yeah, if you ever see something happen or you're getting trail camera photos or whatever's going on, don't just accept that for what it is. Ask yourself why or why not. And 
you I mean, once you start doing that and start learning why and why not, then it, it becomes a, a game of just knowing when to strike. Love it, man. Well, dude, I greatly appreciate you coming on and doing this. I'm glad I could be your first and not your last because you're killing <laughs> it. You're a, really a student of the game that is, you know, you're you're killing it. You honestly are. I, th- I think in another five years, you're going to be like the next Dan in fault. <laughs> you're going to be. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I, no. I certainly appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on. And I guess give everybody a little bit of where they can find everything Exodus and what you guys got coming up um, and what they can expect. And, yeah. hey, plug your podcast as well. Sure, yeah. Um, if you have any questions for me personally, Cam the Cameraman on Instagram, um, because I work with a camera and I work for a camera company, it just seems fitting to <laughs> make my Instagram name Cam the Cameraman. Um, Trail Cam Radio, listen, guys, if I, there, this is kind of, um, there's kind of some co- uh, crossover here because it's a Tuesday upload for both, but if you're in a super heavy podcast mood on, tu- on um, Tuesdays, after you listen to the fall podcast, tune into Trail Cam Radio because um, Trail Cam Radio alone is pretty much where I've got all my information. Uh, so really helpful there. If you have any questions about gear or your gear nut, I host a podcast, the Deer Gear Podcast, where I don't give any hunting advice. I just give gear advice because I'm a gear nerd. So if that suits you, check us out, the Deer Gear Podcast that uploads every Friday morning. Awesome, man. Well, again, thank you very much, dude. And uh, you got, you're got tagged out, though, aren't you, in Ohio? I, yeah, in Ohio. I still have a Pennsylvania tag. Okay, well, get after that. Go kill another one. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, good luck if you do get out, and uh, thank you very much, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.